0: welcome to disney animation minute essentials where we are blasting through disney's the little mermaid one minute at a time i'm Kestra dorowski
1: i'm andrew dorowski
0: and today we are again joined by andrew hawthorne from no time for heroics
2: hi everyone thanks for having me back
1: it's worth it it's great. You're, I've been you're, you're a worthwhile my... guest.
2: <laughs> oh, shucks. I've been holding my breath uh, several fathoms below, fathoms below, and it's been kind of difficult, but I'm glad to have come up for some air so I can talk to you guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Today, we are discussing Minute 39, which begins with Ariel looking at the stone or plaster. Mm, or the, the
1: plaster face the, the, of, of,
0: of Prince Of Eric's Eric. face. That I'm Had kicked over to her.
1: It just like it was so uniformly smooth on the back and had such a uniform thickness that plaster makes the most sense.
2: Yeah.
0: And this minute ends with Ariel taking a nervous breath just before she follows Flotsam and Jetsam into Ursula's lair. Mm. And minute 39 of The Little Mermaid features Ariel changing her mind and deciding to go with Flotsam and Jetsam to see Ursula. Which, which is awful and S- Sebastian trying to stop Ariel from going to see Ursula And Flounder and Sebastian following, <laughs> following Ariel to Ursula's lair
1: So yesterday, Ariel's kind of theme was Leave me alone, I'm moping And today, her theme is Leave me alone, I'm on my way to make a bad decision And she seems like she knows it's a bad decision
2: these are but all she pretty is, bad
1: decisions. Like, she's adamantly going towards this bad decision.
2: I think she thinks it's her only decision when she sees that face, which is why they gave it to her, I guess.
1: Yeah, like, that was a smooth move by one of the eels to flick that to her. Because if they hadn't done that, she probably would not have changed her mind. Yeah.
2: But, you know, up until this point in the movie, we've been seeing all these talking fish and stuff. And when she looked at that face, I really expected for a second for the face to go like, Hey, Ariel. Why don't you love
1: me? It didn't do that though. In a different movie, that that would have happened. Like I can I can imagine that movie. Oh, good.
0: Uh, How is Eric's face? Like I know we talked about it yesterday, but when Triton blew up the the statue, statue, everything was. Blown up, like it doesn't make sense how his face is intact.
1: And for some reason, in my in like my <laughs> false memory of this, I thought it was just the eyes that were intact. But no, it's like his face, face. <laughs> yeah.
2: You thought just the eyes rolled over and started staring up at Ariel. Well, no, just like like like, the, like a the... like a
1: domino mask size portion of the face, like a superhero domino mask.
2: Oh, portion okay. of his
1: face, okay. and it, and so when I remembered it. I was like, yeah, like she just like looks in his eyes, but then when we were watching it, I'm like, oh, it's his whole face. Like that's weird.
0: Yeah. Definitely. There's
1: another cut where it's just his butt and she's like, "Hmm." <laughs> 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 uh,
0: but then she she tells them to wait. And yes, and, and they
1: and they're like they knew yes. this was going to work.
0: They're like, "Oh, really?" The yes, is yeah. epic. Uh,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it, the way it curls up at the end. Uh-huh. So, like, it goes like, up like, like a full like, octave at like, the end.
0: It's like they're trying to act surprised, but th- they but aren't. at the same
1: time, like you can just hear that smile curling into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, like this. This is great. A voice acting. Yes. Oh, they're great. Pa- uh, Patty, Patty is, is and she's doing there. both of them. So, do, do, do you think she recorded that yes twice? So it was slightly different, or did they just play that one yes, twice? I
2: don't know it seems a little different to me. I think she did it twice,
1: yeah, I think you anytime they're doing the lines, I'm guessing um where they're saying the same line at the same time, I think she probably recorded it twice, yeah, but it just lines up so well and and you get the sense like these two are linked like more than more than twins, yes. you know, they have a mental connection or something,
0: yeah, definitely. And and then it cuts away to Flounder and Sebastian. They're just they're, out, they're, front. They're like, out front. like <laughs> She said, leave me and,
1: alone. They just
2: went and, like 10 feet away and they're like, fine.
0: That's more and, responsible
2: than her dad, though. He just abandoned
1: her there. Yeah, like he's not He's not around.
0: But you know? Flounder, he like wipes his nose.
1: Does he do that? Does he yes. like bring a fin up? I love Flounder. Like he, Flounder he, like, is one sniffs. of my favorite things. And all of the gestures they put into like this little fish who is 90% head.
0: <laughs> he he he's he like poor Ariel, he's like, he's like, like he looks like he's, does he's, a little sniffle, and then he's not
1: like crying, crying, but he's like, man, like this sucks.
0: And then he wipes his nose like he's wiping away <laughs> snot, which I don't understand how that would work. <laughs> which also I don't understand how sobbing would work under the water.
1: Oh like yeah, I didn't in space. I guess I didn't. I didn't think about Ariel like crying her tears.
0: You don't see her crying tears. She's just like because like that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> She's just
1: her 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 body's just trembling with the sobs. Yeah.
0: So I don't I don't know how any of this would work, but I thought it was very funny that Flounder just he like he like wipes his nose. nose.
1: Oh man, her, I can perfectly picture it too because like that's the sort of animation they put into Flounder.
2: This is an important minute for Sebastian too because. Uh, he's been kind of a jerk, and and we just cut away really just to have time for him to say, you know, actually I didn't mean to tell; it was totally an
1: accident. And and so I mean, like it's obvious that it was an accident. Like he's not good at keeping secrets.
2: Sure, but if he if we didn't have this moment for him to say, you know, I feel really bad about this, we we probably wouldn't get into him for much of the rest of the movie because he's such a dirty snitch. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think this—it's a small moment, but it is good for his character. Where you see, like, he doesn't feel bad because it's his fault. He feels bad because, like, he genuinely didn't want this to happen. Yeah, Great.
0: and I feel like that, along with how he looked yesterday when she told him to go away, and when she—he was like hesitant to like say anything to her, and now he's—he's he's just like. Thoroughly upset with himself, and and, and he everything. feels like he needs
1: to make it up to Ariel. He's yes. on Ariel's side now,
0: which now I feel, I feel like makes it even more of a argument for him because we've mentioned how he seemed distraught when when king triton was like you're you're gonna be watching after ariel like these these two minutes and these two moments of him make it seem like he's actually genuinely like he has Ariel's a relationship
1: like he has a relationship with yes. ariel where, whereas before it seemed like he didn't really have a friendship or relationship with ariel
0: but i i i feel like he he does he does now yeah he and this quest for
2: redemption on his part to make up for this accident is, is what's going to keep him with her during this misadventure of hers that, you know, it's going to, to, to make him try to convince buddy to kiss the girl later on and, <laughs> and, and hopefully <laughs> like use all of his musical power to help her out.
1: Yeah. Um, so when Ariel swims out, he tries to stop her and she says, why don't you go tell my dad? That's what you're good at. And like, she really like throws it at his face, but like, should he go tell her dad?
0: Well, she wouldn't have gotten turned into a human and...
1: But he doesn't know that's what's about to happen. He knows that she's about to, like, go interact with a villain.
0: Right. He She's yeah. about to go interact with Ursula. If he went and told her dad, her dad would have gone and been like, Ursula, you need to leave my daughter alone and you need yeah. to leave my kingdom alone. So,
1: like, is Sebastian making the right choice to just swim after Ariel and help her as much as he can or would he have been making the right choice to go find Triton? Like, I'm wondering if he's feeling guilty, especially because of that snipe she threw at him about him being a tattletale. Is is that making him feel guilty about that? And so he's not doing it because he feels guilty? Or does he think the actual right choice in this case is to not go bring King Triton into all of this?
2: I, I think column B, and I think it because the first time he went and brought King Triton into this, it re- it made things worse because it resulted in this. So last time uh, he, he was worried about her with the humans and things like that. Uh, King Triton got involved. Everything got a lot worse. Now she's going to go see a demon. So now she's seeing a demon. How, becomes, how much worse could
1: it get if he yeah. got involved again?
2: Oh, pretty bad. But um, who knows what's going to happen. But I think at this point he's like, okay, well, that didn't work. I, I better try to fix this myself.
1: Okay. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I like that take on it better than um, just him feeling guilty and not doing it like yeah. this is he is actually putting some thought into his like Triton and Ariel is a bad combo right now. So whatever I can do to help, I'm going to take responsibility for.
2: He also doesn't really have time because she's going there now. If he yeah. goes and gets Triton, then it might be too late.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, too. OK, I like I like this. You've made this a better sequence in my mind because I was worried that he was just feeling guilty and it's like, well, I can't tattletale. She's mad at me for being a tattletale.
2: Well, you know, snitches get stitches, Sebastian. So you got to watch yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. The design of this lair. That lionfish yeah, coral. It's like a lionfish coral design. Like, have have you seen a lionfish? Um, it's like a megalodon lionfish. It's... Yeah. So its I think it's just like the coral that somehow formed into that shape and maybe was carved a little bit. I don't think it's like a fish skeleton.
0: I don't think okay. it's a fish skeleton, but it is so cool. This design was designed by Mike Peraza, who was the uh, an art director on this whole film and yeah. he
1: Did he, he do a lot of the backgrounds?
0: I'm not entirely sure.
1: Okay. There's some details we just can't really get even when we have like the credits and and all sorts of information on the internet. It's just not recorded who did exactly what. Yeah. I love it whenever we can we can talk about like the designers and artists because on Snow White it was it was very difficult to get anything because even the voice actors weren't credited in those credits. Sure. There's like fifty credits for
0: that.
1: Yeah, like there's there's fifty credits for that entire movie that are listed on the film. (laughs) Yeah. And they're all Disney. Um, But yeah, I love this lionfish design. Like you get and it's not like it would have been easy to do a shark or a squid or something. And they went for like a not typical, but still ominous, threatening, villainous looking fish design.
0: Also with the glowing.
1: Like the purple and blue glowing. Yeah, Yeah, that
0: makes it seem even more villainous.
1: It's so good.
2: Um, this is, is a really important shot for me in, in my analysis of, of what's going on in this movie. Can I, can I sidetrack us? Uh, Absolutely. Okay, so there's a lot of smoke coming up from from this crevasse, I guess, that Ursula's lair is, is perched on. Um, th- th- so she's got her lair on a, a hydrothermal vent of some kind. Uh, hydrothermal vents are at the bottom of the ocean and and they're only along tectonic plate boundaries. And as such, they're usually pretty far from land. They're like in the middle of the ocean. Uh, You know, the the Mid-Atlantic Ridge has a lot of these. They're also very, very deep. uh, Usually completely deep. Uh, But right now we see that they're not deep enough. Uh, That light doesn't penetrate. There's still some light coming down through the water. Um, so if you look at the layout of hydrothermal vents around the globe, going back to the globe before it was destroyed by King Triton.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm real excited for where this is going.
2: Yeah, the the only place that it makes sense for this to be because we see that Eric's people are Caucasian and not um, from Japan or from China or, or anywhere like that is the Mediterranean. That's the only place that would have hydrothermal vents like this. So it's possible that Ariel is some kind of Mediterranean Merman and maybe even Eric is Prince of Sicily at this point, (laughs) though, as you mentioned, uh, it certainly uh, looks a little more northern European than that.
1: Yes. Um, So in the research we've done, so I okay, growing up, I thought, number one, this must be in the Caribbean because of Sebastian. And then at some point later, I was like, I bet it's in the Mediterranean for no particular reason. It was just the only thing that made sense. Well, um, and then and then of course it was settled as Denmark because of Disney canon. But I'm on board with the idea of some Mediterranean, and I can't remember what I was researching, but something suggested that um, there were times when like smaller countries existed on the Mediterranean border, um, like like Monaco. Yes, um, and, and that and would also, have been kind of an ideal option.
2: In- you know, there's Malta and things like that as well. There, there's a real mix of different types of uh, ethnicities and backgrounds and cultural styles as well along the Mediterranean. Um, yeah. You know, it, so it, it could be anywhere around there. And and the hydrothermal vents certainly suggest that, unless she's in the middle of the Atlantic somewhere, which seems a little less likely because of the light penetration in this scene. Um, but what's interesting about this from a point of view of Merman culture is that vents are are substantially deeper in the sea than most fish are able to go. So you've got to wonder if if this is like the Merman equivalent of hell, you know? Like we, we treat hell mythologically as underground. So maybe this is the underworld as far as they're concerned. And that would explain what Sebastian is talking about when he says that Ursula is a demon, like maybe mm. this is how they kind of treat her. You know what I mean?
1: Like, and she's maybe cultivated that, that presence. Like I am, I am embracing the environment of this, uh, demonic hellish, uh, waterscape.
2: Yeah. Most fish couldn't even go there because of, uh, the, the amount of uh, hydrogen sulfide levels in the water because of the hydrothermal vents that we're seeing in this scene. Um, so that's pretty low. And, and, and a lot of the, you know, the the casual fish is not going to be venturing
1: here, but. Oh, go ahead. Now it's just enhancing my image in my head of this environment that much more because you've said that now I'm kind of picturing and I know it's underwater, so it doesn't work perfectly, but I'm picturing the smell of sulfur all around. Yeah. It's Um, rotten. And it, and that just like that suits Ursula so well. um, but
2: what what's more important about this for an earlier point I made a few minutes ago to me is that this entire theory may explain what mermaids eat. Um, because, uh, only recently, a, uh, in, in the last few years, I recently went to, uh, a, a talk that Robert Ballard gave about hydrothermal vents. He's the oceanologist who discovered the Titanic is how most people know him. Um, and he was talking about these giant tube worms that live on the bottom of the ocean at hydrothermal vents. And light doesn't get down to them and, and food doesn't get down to them because there's all kinds of disgusting food cycles in the sea that fish eat to consume. Um, so they had to figure out new ways to survive. And what, how they do that is by you know, using the bacteria that grow on, in this hydrogen sulfide uh, environment at these vents And kind of eating and absorbing those. Um, So it it leads me to believe that perhaps mermaids and mermen eat bacteria. So it could be that if you went to dinner at King Triton's place, basically he'd just be serving out what to you or I would appear to be bowls of tapioca. (laughs) And they're just kind of consisting on this savory paste that grows at the bottom of the sea. And no wonder they would hate fish eaters for this
1: reason. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a complex theory that you have brought forth, and I love it. I know in the, kind animated <laughs> series, in, in the animated series, they had at least one scene at a dinner table with Ariel and her sisters.
0: But we don't remember. I don't
1: remember what it looked like they were eating. I remember it looked like there was seaweed salad on the table, basically. I mean, there's um, got to be some seaweed salad. That would be pretty chic. Yeah, so some seaweed salad and this tapioca bacteria paste, I think might be reasonable, and I, I just can't remember what was actually on the table. So when we watch more of all this stuff, probably when we have to take a break from recording, um, but while this while this uh podcast is still being released, because Kestra's gonna have a baby, maybe we'll we'll find a chance to watch more of this show uh during those weeks when we're dealing with a newborn.
2: <laughs> maybe you could enjoy a nice bowl of tapioca with that newborn.
1: <laughs> I but that is a very thorough theory, and I am a fan. Thank you. you. You've worked it out wonderfully, and I like the uh, locating it in the Mediterranean and then building from there.
2: Yeah, this is entirely based on hydrothermal vents. So th- this, you know, if if the point of a minute podcast is to overread something, I have overread this one animation feature to basically explain everything about mermaid culture and location and diet so uh
1: so i'll take it take it for what it's worth <laughs> um i'm out of notes as am i me too okay perfect we did it 20 minutes <laughs> mm, <me too. laughs> i have to I, I have to read the outro yes That's all we have for you today, listeners. We are part of Dueling Genre. You can find us and many other podcasts at DuelingGenre.com. There you will also find a link to a Patreon page where you can support all Dueling Genre productions. We are on Twitter and Instagram at DizMinute on email as DisneyAnimationMinute at gmail.com and on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society or Damsels Group. Our guest can be found.
2: Oh, I can be found at NotimeForHeroics.com or on iTunes if you'd like to subscribe to the show. Or you can head over to Facebook at the No Time for Heroics Hall of Great Justice and discuss our various goings on. We just did a bunch of 80s cartoons, both obscure, like uh, Poochie, who is a superhero with an advice column, and also less obscure, like Gizmoduck on DuckTales.
1: I enjoyed both of those discussions. Uh, Poochie for being introduced to Poochie. Gizmo Duck, because that's one of the most memorable cycles of Ducktales that that I have in my brain. Well,
0: no, Gizmo Duck's a really DuckTales great Ducktales intro.
1: It's
2: <laughs> Ducktales is an amazing cartoon, and Giz... Gizmo Duck is an amazing superhero. Except he's very difficult to uh, pretend to be when you're a kid at a playground, unless you can
1: ride a unicycle. Because he was on a unicycle for some reason. It... That's an odd design. It is. Until next time, listeners, thank you for making us part of your world. world. Oh, I missed it again. <laughs>